0: Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, stress relief coach, speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting podcast. Quick reminder, pop on over to sandyfowler.com. I have a free stress relief lesson there for you because you can't teach your child stress management skills if you don't have them yourself. So just grab the free lesson, learn a little bit of something, and pass that on. So I hear from parents who are concerned about their child's path. Maybe their teen is struggling academically, maybe they're having a hard time managing their schoolwork or their life, maybe they're in college and they're struggling, maybe they're in high school or college and they're not struggling, but you just want to make sure that you are giving them a leg up and sending them off into the world with a really strong foundation. Either way, Virginia Horan has insights for us. Ginny teaches college in New York and is the creator of the Centered Student Planner, and she is joining us so we can take an inside look at what really helps our kids to be successful personally and academically through high school and beyond. Ginny, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Thank you. I'm so
1: excited to be here. I love what you are doing. I think it's so important.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And I... You know, we were chatting before the podcast, and you have so much information around the high school and college experience, the studying, the planning, what happens to our kids in college. And so I'm really looking forward to having this conversation to cover all those things. Let's start with college, and we can work our way back to high school, and maybe we'll even touch on middle school there, probably. Because I saw a statistic that said 30% of college freshmen drop out after their first year. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious what you think contributes to that. I mean, these kids went through, they did the work, just applying and getting into college is a process. And, you know, they did the work before that to have whatever grades they needed to get there. there. There's just a lot involved. So they jumped through all these hoops and after one year, they end
1: up dropping out. Why? Well, the number one reason, and I came across this myself when I was doing research on how to better connect with Generation Z students. So the number one reason, and there are others, but the number one reason is time management. It's the workload. It's being on their own to manage the workload. And they sometimes, I don't know if you've heard people talk about the overscheduled generation or the fact that our generation of kids are so scheduled in terms of sports and music and all the things that they do that their lives are already programmed. And then all of a sudden they go off to college and they have to make their own schedule and manage the work. It's not the getting to class, although that's hard. It's they don't know how to schedule the schoolwork and they get overwhelmed and they procrastinate.
0: And they didn't have to schedule their schoolwork
1: in high school. Things are what spoon fed to them more? Well, yeah, (laughs) Um, they're spoon fed. And I I never want to bash high school teachers because high school teachers are so limited in terms of their creativity and doing five classes of however many students and they, they have to prove themselves and hit certain numbers and testing and all of that, but What we no longer have is a scheduling kind of culture. So what happened for me was I've been teaching since 1991 and I'm saying to myself, well, wait, they walk around with a handheld computer. Why are they not able to get their work done? I mean, we have so much technology. They're sitting in my classroom with a phone and a laptop. Why aren't they benefiting from all the technology? So I think on the one hand uh, they're scheduled so heavily by their parents, particularly if the parents want the student to be super high achieving, right? And we're doing carpool and we're getting them everywhere they need to go. They don't work as much um, sometimes if their parents are super focused on getting them into college. So there's that piece, but also it's what I call PowerPoint passivity. So, every time something technological comes along, education immediately is like, yay, this is great, let's use this. And not all technology is good technology. So what I saw happen with my kids, and I don't know what your experience was, were a lot of rubrics where things were just checked as to whether the student had gotten a one, two, three, or a four, and a lot of PowerPoints instead of note-taking. That's passive. And I think... We've lost some old school, what I call old school skills that help them in college and they're gone. You know, they're, they've evaporated. So they're not taking notes as much. They are able to tune out and go back on the teacher's e-board. We had to listen, right, Sandy, for the homework assignment and write it down because they orally told you the homework. They're a generation of retrievers, but that's so passive that they make the switch to college, and all of a sudden they are not, they don't have the habits, the time management habits.
0: You said in there something very interesting. You you were talking about the idea that you know we we tend to use a lot of technology, but that the the technology is actually hurting our kids, that some of these Uh, when you talk about, you say using old school techniques, Mm -hmm. some of these old school techniques would help them out more. Well, as parents, we aren't going to be able to change what's happening in a classroom. What does that mean for us? What kinds of things can we be doing to help our kids learn better in the classroom? We'll start there. Let's start with what can we be doing to help them learn better?
1: Well, just as an aside, push back when tablets get introduced, because students who are in elementary schools and middle schools learning from tablets, you know, they give them one of those, whatever brand tablet, and that's what they do everything on now. Um, They're doing far worse than students in more traditional settings. That's
0: that's what the data is showing, is that the kids who use tablets are faring worse in
1: their education? Yes. And, uh, One of my phrases for the planner is, write, don't tap. Because when you are tapping into a laptop and looking at a screen, what you're talking about is something almost like court reporting. That's what they're finding, is that when they write by hand, they slow down their brain just enough to think about what they are writing down. So what I learned and what maybe there isn't time to learn anymore was active note-taking, with multicolored pens. And when I teach my students this, now this is at a community college, it's like the heavens open, angels are singing, like they haven't heard of it. But I'm saying, if you have to listen and write by hand, you're gonna slow down. And because you cannot write every single word that is coming out of the teacher's mouth, you're gonna have to pick and choose what you need to write. So this is a good thing, because that requires you to listen and decide what's important and what's not important. If you want to take it to an even more active level, get a big pen with four colors, a lot of clicking when you do that, but um, decide that every date will be in green, decide that every important name will be in red, or use a highlighter, but make that act of listening more active by using built in little systems for yourself to keep your attention in the act of deciding this is important this isn't important you are thinking about the material and that is directly linked to memory and they do much better so tapping is not working it's becoming just a transcribing
0: mhm and i i've noticed i'm i take notes during these interviews and i notice that Not only do I have to decide what to write down, I'm also deciding how to structure it on the page and where to put things. And all of that is, as you said, processing and working with the information.
1: Like you want to, I see students who everything is written exactly the same way, lining up on the left hand side of the page. And I'm like, well, where's a heading? Where are the bullet points? What's a sub point? Everything on this page looks equally important to me. How can you visually? represent what matters versus what doesn't matter or what goes together. So in the planner, I have all these tutorials and one of them is in-depth on note-taking for any kind of person, a doodler, a visual person. Um, We can tap into those tendencies. Now, as parents, you could, when your children hit that age where they're taking notes, you could look at their notes and you could show them an alternative way of doing them in an outline format. Um, And it can be a rough outline, but think about it, Sandy, the Word doc program makes the outline for them. They don't necessarily have to know main idea, sub point, example. So a lot of these conveniences for business are not working as well in the classroom. And then some people might argue, well, if the Word program does it, then why do they need to know how to do an outline? Well, no, they need to sort information. And that's what outlining is really all about. I'm also huge on index cards and flashcards. My son, my eldest is 26. When he trains for a job, he buys a pack of index cards and he goes back to that old school, word on the front, definition on the back. So anything handwritten is gonna be superior, I think. And the more creative they can be, the better. But if you start getting into the kind of the mode of doing handwritten flashcards, you're imprinting on your brain way more than if you go on Quizlet.com and look for somebody else's flashcards or the Mm -hmm. flashcards that come with the publisher. Publisher plugins are not good for a lot of our students.
0: Well, and just the act of writing out the cards. I know for myself, when I'm creating video recordings for business, by the time I have written out my cheat sheet to look at, I don't need to look at it. Just The act of writing it out after, first you you write down all the ideas and then you sort through them and then you create that little outline. And yes, by that point, it is in my head and I don't necessarily even need that outline. So just the process of writing those flashcards is a learning moment. And then the reviewing and the going over them, it's, I guess, you know, it's a tried and true method for a reason. And I hadn't thought about it, but as you said, we're looking at convenience as well as of course, businesses are looking for ways to make money, not not saying, how can we harm kids doing that? They're trying to be helpful and purchase the things that kids and parents want. So as parents, that's one of the places that we can say, Hey, wait a minute, before we buy this support tool, let's
1: think about whether it's actually going to support you. Or is it on the surface support? And as you're saying, dig a little deeper. And is it actually going to put you at a disadvantage? Um, and some of this stuff will do that. So another example of the phone, right? So I say to my students, all this happened because, um, I was teaching a class called college seminar, and I don't know if your daughter had to take one, but it's kind of this class that gets them. It's like extended orientation and they cover note-taking and they cover, you know, how to kind of function in college. And I did one with a happiness theme because I've recently discovered, as you probably knew well in advance of me, so many aspects of positive psychology and how to be responsible for your own happiness. And to me, the connection was when you reduce your stress, you feel more in control. When you feel more in control, you feel happier and less stressed. So... That's where the paper planner came from. Now, what I did was I cobbled together just free printables from the internet and 10 cent folders from Target, the ones that are all going to be out in, in a few weeks. And I gave them all a paper planner. Not very nice, but it was there because I said, What's with the phones? You have phones. They go, Yeah, I put in my assignment, but here's that kind of hidden thing. When the alarm goes off, it's too late. Yes. It's too late. Um, A paper due on a Friday needs to be started probably two weeks in advance, and little pieces need to be done. So, just popping in an appointment or a due date on a phone doesn't teach you time management. It doesn't. And also, if you're not consciously thinking as you encode the things in your calendar on your phone, They don't register. So I think I joked with you, I couldn't remember the time that we were going to talk because I put the date in my phone. But there's something about the rapid nature of the way we deal with technology where our brain doesn't necessarily keep up and we know we don't have to because we can look it up. Now, what that is translating to is this passivity that I'm seeing that gets in the way of them succeeding in college and in high school, even particularly more rigorous types of environments. So, you know, alarms are great. Calendars are great, but not if you don't know how to use them, then they're just a, a widget.
0: Right. And well, and, and it's, as you said, it's all great. It's how does it work for you? I know I'm an entrepreneur, I'm in mastermind groups, I talk to other people, and everybody has their own thing that works for them. I was excited when I found a teacher who, she creates a planner, but the planner isn't the appointments. I need my appointments to be on my phone. But the planner walks you through to the point of getting the appointments to put on your calendar. You think in the big picture, like you said. So for our kids, that would mean all right, got an assignment today. I got out of biology and there's this assignment and I have to do this paper and it's due in three weeks. So we as parents want to make sure that they know how to look at that assignment, break it down into its pieces and put reminders in the phone to work on the pieces.
1: Exactly.
0: Not just the deadline of when the paper's due. Is that
1: a workable system for some kids? I mean, they're all different, but That could work for some kids and that can be great, particularly if they're really users of their phone for things beyond just social media. All you really need to teach, regardless of whether the calendar is on the phone or is paper is this idea of working backwards from the due date as opposed to focusing on the due date. So I call it chunking where I'm trying to teach students with what we call embedded support, where we're trying to teach them these skills within the content of the class. So I'll say, well, it's a paper. How many steps are there to writing a paper? Well, there's research. Then there's reading the research. So I try to show them how to break all those things down into chunks, and that's what parents can do because just paper is overwhelming, project overwhelming, is teach your kids all the different steps and break them down and write them down. And then do a little chunk each day. And you can work backwards from the due date. If you have two weeks to do it, you put in your calendar, whatever calendar you're using, an hour when you find the articles for the paper. And then two days later, you read the articles and you highlight them. And then three days later, maybe you make index cards with the important points That you want to make but the more you can have them write the more it will stick so even if they rewrote notes from a powerpoint it would be more active as opposed to just reading them or highlighted powerpoints that were given to them
0: that's so interesting and i actually i kind of had this vision of taking your chunking idea that you teach which i love that word (laughs) And pairing that even when they're first learning, pairing that with the index cards, Mm -hmm. because you can lay them out and they can see very clearly, these are the different steps to doing this. These are the different kinds of tasks. You have to find the information. You have to read the information. And then you you can take the index card. Okay, find the information. Where could you find the information? Okay, when are you going to do this? Like I could even see them putting all that together. As well as doing this other methods, remembering that we need to work with our kids to help figure out what works best for them. But this idea of writing it down makes so much sense to me, and I know I am—I'm an avid reader, and I read both on my Kindle and physical paper books. And I will not read what I call an education book. I can read fiction or nonfiction on my Kindle, but I cannot read something that I want to learn from and i think it goes back like you said that's not active enough my body doesn't know it doesn't have this sense of oh i was this far through the book you know it was right it was heavier in my left hand than in my right so i was a good long way through it and how many pages there were and how close i was to be in chapter and where this information landed on the page those are all things that our brain takes in in a little bit it's not a highly active way but it is definitely more active than what it can do with an
1: electronic device and you know to be honest the students like paper and they like paper textbooks we've been kind of forced at the college level to do ebooks just because of the expense of traditional textbooks but they would rather have a textbook that they highlight and touch and read but Economically, how do you justify a $140 book for an introductory class when they can get a $49 ebook version? So, but the, I think they do like paper a lot of the time. The other thing that you said is really interesting is I read on both as well. And what I like about the Kindle, see this is the double-edged sword. If I don't know a word in a book I'm reading and I like historical fiction, let's say. So, I can press on the word and get the definition. I love that about tablet reading, but uh, is it worth it? I don't know. Because when it comes to reading a textbook, I don't think it works the same way. I just yeah. And
0: and again, that's gonna be working today, but just having these conversations with our kids, especially if they're struggling and you've given us a few concrete things to go through with them and so the active note taking, using
1: index cards, helping learn how to chunk. Right. And I just thought of something else. Almost every school gives elementary students paper planners. But it's become this thing where it's for the parent to sign to indicate that the homework was done. Like it's a communication tool. I don't know if your kids got these, but and We were homeschooling in elementary so. Okay. All right, so my kids—they got a big one through sixth grade. Then it went a little smaller for middle school. Then they got like a tiny private one for high school. They didn't use it to plan. So you can actually teach them the counting backwards and the managing of their week by opening up whatever planner the school gives them, and you know, they say like, um, there's a certain number of hours you have every week and. What they need to write down is when do they shower when do they have sports when is the family having dinner when is religious education then visually look at that which isn't what you see necessarily with some of the programs and the phone and then you look for chunks that's the other part of chunking is where are the chunks to get the work done so you could start to teach your kids this idea that when you have an hour between swim practice and going home for dinner, maybe you could read half a chapter of a textbook and maybe that's okay. Maybe you don't have to read the entire chapter in one sitting. We have to get away from the grinding it out or pulling the all-nighter or any of that stuff because if they're doing a little bit all the way along and they know how to chunk... They do much better in college when it's all about self-directed learning and chunking. They can't pull all-nighters in college the way they can in high school. The assignments require the time to be demonstrated in the end product.
0: And the other thing I thought of when you were talking about that is they, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems that they will learn better if they are going back and touching the same subject multiple times in, in those smaller chunks, rather than if they just sit down and essentially binge through a subject.
1: Right, and that's, that's such a great word, right? We're, binging has become this verb that we use for watching television. But if I had a student, my son, let's say, was taking biology, there's so much terminology in that. Maybe you do five key terms a night on index cards, not all of them, five a night, and then five another night. But each time you whip through the first five before you add the next five, and then you whip through the first 10 when you add the next five. And as you're saying, the more you look at it, the more it sticks. And they learn to trust their brain, and they learn to trust that it will stick because their handwriting and their visual learning kick in. And so many of us are visual learners. So that's the beauty of handwriting or looking at a whole week in one clip is you're looking at that whole week from left to right and you can see time. You can see your time. And that's what I think is missing sometimes with the phones is can you see your time?
0: It is. We actually Leslie Joselle, she works with ADHD families. And she talked about seeing time and I'll, I'll link to that episode because it's a different take on, it's not, it's not a globally different take, but it's coming at the same issue from a slightly different angle, but with the same thoughts around it that you have Ginny. And I think they're very complimentary. And that is one of the issues is our kids can't see time. So here's what I'm wondering though. So we talk about kids who struggle oftentimes Yes. These, these skills that you're saying we need to make sure our kids have, if we have a kid, maybe we have a junior in high school and they've just been sailing through them. We're not involved <laughs> in checking their assignments or getting into their homework or anything. What do you recommend there? Should we just stand back? Should we, do we need to dive in and check and make sure they have these skills? Cause college is a whole different ball game from high school
1: it really is. So if you can have those kind of conversations, I also think you can sense sometimes, you know, I have three kids. My daughter was organizing things when she was six, you know, and planning her life out. Um, The older guy is an anxious person. So he was kind of a planner and an organizer, middle guy, completely different. With my daughter though, I do regret that I didn't ask her more about how she was getting her work done, because I was just thrilled she was getting her work done. And she was getting good grades, because she did have that leap when she got to college in terms of how do I get all this done, it's all due on the same day. And we actually went through and did a blocked out weekly plan. I think it would be great to just introduce them to that idea, like, okay, college, you're going to meet this class three times a week for 50 minutes and two times a week for an hour and 15. And let's look at sample schedules. And when we do that, let's look for times when you don't go back to your room and you don't go hang out, but you actually get yourself to the library, which I call the magic castle, because there aren't as many distractions. And you learn that you can just you can do a portion of your schoolwork. It doesn't have to be the whole thing. When they're doing well, though, it's hard to say, you know, I can't imagine you can do that well in high school without a little bit of uh, time management skill. So they're probably not going to be as shaken, shooken, shaken up by transitioning to college. Some also learn very quickly, kind of the hard way with the first few assignments. And that's like a huge wake up call. And as long as you can then get them to student services, they will teach them how to do all of this. That's the beauty of student services. All those fees that parents pay go for tutoring and test anxiety and time management and all sorts of um, assistance where they'll teach you how to be successful. And this is a reminder for us parents.
0: (laughs) So when they hit college, especially if you've had this kid who's done so well, and there's this big shock because suddenly they're not doing so well. We need to remind ourselves, do not dive in, do not fix this for them. Listen to them and direct them to places they can learn the skills they need. Unless it's something, maybe it is something that it's a skill you have that you can teach them. But teach them the skill, don't bail them out or teach them how to access someone who can teach them the skill. And you say, Ginny, that that would be student services. Go there first.
1: Yeah, tutoring centers. You know, if you look at a bulletin board at a college or a website, there's going to be all writing centers. Anything that says center, you can usually um, get assistance. If you're in a college seminar class, they're going to teach you time management. I hope, I hope, I hope. Um, and yeah, Sandy, the don't bail them out thing. And I never thought I would have a problem, right? Cause my parents didn't never bailed me out, but there is that temptation sometimes to, to make everything better for them. And you have to hold back. I mean, you've gotten them to this point. Now they're in college, let them fail. Like, uh, if they have to fail one assignment, let it happen and then obviously be there to support them. The big thing is growth mindset, right? This idea that a lot of our kids who do well in high school have been told they're smart, they're smart, they're smart. And they attribute their success to the fact that they're smart. Uh, As almost if it's genetic static kind of thing, growth mindset is you can work on things and become really good at them. So if we can praise effort rather than end results as they're growing up. If we can talk about going back and redoing things and making them better, you can empower your kids by saying, no, 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 it's not about the end result. It's about the time you spent or how hard you worked on it. My daughter got a B or something on a paper and she was crying, I got a B. And I, I said, were you supposed to go to college knowing everything already? Of course you got to be. What would be the point of going to college and getting A's in everything and not learning and just wanting that high grade? It's okay. It's okay to get a B and get better. So I wish more of them felt that it wasn't just this static thing like I was born with X and therefore I will be successful or I wasn't born with that so I can never do that. Yes, you can. You have to just put in the time.
0: Yeah and and we also this goes back to some of the other conversations that we've had on the show. It is academics are measuring one skill set.
1: Absolutely. They
0: don't measure actual knowledge in many cases. And I remember my father-in-law saying that the college he went to when he was talking to the admissions advisors, they said they would much rather at that time, of course things change, right? But at that time he said he would, the advisor admissions advisor said he would much rather have a C student than an A student because the C student already knows what it means to work at something. Yes. They have this growth mindset that you talked about.
1: It's so important. And then they see the difference and they appreciate the effort that they put forth. And they also kind of trust Uh, feedback. Students who get A's all the time start to think that maybe they didn't earn it. I know that sounds really weird, but they just assume that, oh, well, they kind of know that I'm X, Y, and Z. And and that happens in high school a lot. College is a good chance for that wake-up call where you're starting out with a new set of teachers, with a new set of standards. And When you work hard at something and you get a good grade, it feels better than when you did it overnight and got a good grade.
0: And I want to circle back for just a moment and share one other thought here. You said the dreaded words let them fail at the college level, let them fail the assignment, even let them fail the test, let them fail the course. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard as a parent to sit back and not not even necessarily say anything, much less dive in or do anything about it, but to give them space to figure out the lesson, to be supportive and encouraging. And if they ask you for ideas or suggestions to carefully share some ideas on how they can grow, how they can get the skills they need, how they can learn the materials. Yeah. What do you think happened? did you study for this? Did you feel like you knew the information? You know, going through that, but I just want to remind ourselves that, yes, failing something at the college level is hard, and the consequences are larger than they were in high school, which are larger than middle school, which are larger than elementary, and they still aren't as large as if they fail at their job. If they do not have the ability to take constructive criticism. If they don't have the ability to learn, if they don't have time management skills, if they don't have these things to support them and move them through the job process, they can end up unemployed. I talked to employers and college professors and I've heard some very scary things. And one of the things I've heard from multiple employers is they had young employees who came on the job. They were asked to do an assignment. When the boss gave constructive feedback, The kids quit their job Mm -hmm. because they didn't know how to fail. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even a failure. This is a normal process in the business world. You turn something in. Somebody says, I like this. I don't like that. Here, change these things. That's how it works. And so we need, need, need to help support our kids in that. And I love, Ginny that you've given us these specific ways of doing that. Of m- making sure that they know these old school techniques and some old school ways of helping them with the time management.
1: Well, they they have the power then, right? They're not just being buffeted by events. You know, they can go back to flashcards. They can go back to multicolored pens. They can go back to taking better notes. It's all there. They're not just at the whim of the e-board or <laughs> whatever else is going on. It. Those are tools. Just like hammers and nails, they're tools and they really can work. They really can help them. And I think, I just think we're skipping some step where they learn how to learn. And I haven't quite figured that out yet. And I need to dig a little bit deeper and saying, where are we going wrong that we're not spending more time teaching them how to learn things? Because the index cards and the outlining and all of that, I was taught that in school. Were you taught that? I was taught that. Yes and no. What I distinctly remember
0: was a teacher looking at my history notebook in eighth grade. And I was trying to do an outline. I was writing way too much. And, you know, you indent every time. And so I had like three pages of things where I was only writing in the right half of the sheet of paper. (laughs) They just said, don't do that. They didn't give me instruction how to do it or anything else. So, so, you know, there were little things here or there, but I, I do. I think we need to teach our kids. And if we don't, then get with a coach or do something like your planner, where it's a planner and a teaching thing, but go get some resources to help
1: the kids learn it. Right. And don't assume because it's on a laptop or there's a YouTube tutorial um, that that's the way to go because that I think YouTube tutorials are great. I use them a lot, but They don't necessarily, sometimes they go on and on a little bit, particularly if they're done by their peer group. And I think sometimes actually reading and touching something, uh, the kinesthetic piece with the handwriting that can help you more. You know, this, this funny thing, um, spare brain time. Like we talk about why it's so hard to listen and it really is, but it's because the brain is amazing. So the average person speaks between 100 and 150 words per minute, let's say. The brain could probably handle 400 to 600. So I try to explain this to my students, deduct 100 from 400. Let's say you're a listener and you can take in 400 words per minute. The average speaker is only gonna give you 100. There's a gap of 300 words. That's when we wander and we can wander and come back and not miss much. So if you're writing by hand, you have the time to assess the importance of what you're hearing and whether it matters and you can write it down. It's because the brain could be taking in so much more than it's being given that we have trouble with attention. Well, and that's interesting to me
0: because when i'm t- i never thought of this but if i'm taking notes when someone's talking i i don't lose my focus and lose my concentration but if i'm just listening to a lecture a video in an endless zoom meeting my brain is wandering off it's gone and then it's after you know it doesn't just pop back it's just gone because it's found another path
1: One of my favorite best student stories is I had this student and she was in the back of the room and she was knitting. And she came up to me after the first class. And first of all, knitting is fairly unusual, right? And she said, I hope you don't mind. I don't take notes. I knit uh, scarves and sweaters while I'm in class. And I said, really? And I knew exactly what she was doing. She was filling her spare brain time And fully focused on what I was saying. And she never took a note. And she got 100 on everything. All the time. She was so focused on listening. Because she used the knitting to take up any kind of spare brain time that would have led her to get distracted all right so this is great jenny
0: i so appreciate all of your insights and these tips for what we can do to help our kids be successful and we've talked a lot about college but this is true no matter what path our kids are going on if they're going to a trade school or they're going to earn a certificate or they're going on to community college or university or they're going straight out into the workforce They need time management, absolutely. You cannot function as a human being without a certain amount of time management. And they need to be able to chunk those tasks and things. And we need to learn. So this is great for all of our kids. For anyone who wants to
1: connect with you or learn more from you, where can we find you online? Um, www.thecenteredstudentplanner.com. I know that's a mouthful. But uh, I check my messages all the time. I have a Facebook page for the Centered Student Planner. And I answer absolutely everyone. And I will do time management lessons. But basically, it's it's the website. And I get back to everyone. And I love doing this. This is my mission. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Jenny,
0: for joining us today. This has been really helpful. Thank you. And thank you mighty parents for being here. Remember, please share this podcast with another parent. This is such important information for all of our kids. And also remember to visit sandyfowler.com and grab that free stress relief lesson. There are two activities in there that you can do that do not require you to add anything else onto your day. And you can even invite your teen to try it out with you. And just Thanks for being here today, for being part of the Mighty Parenting community. Remember, you're here, you're listening, you are Mighty Parent. You got this. And I will see you next week.